You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 258 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, to be honest with you, Val, I'm uh-huh. coming to well, I'm coming to terms <laughs> with the fact that my okay. youngest child is starting high school next year. I've had a week oh. of I know. I've had a week of meetings. You know, and and other parents out there will feel my pain, but I've had a you know sort of meetings. I've had to go to yes. parent teacher nights, and I've had to go to you know the the this is what's going to happen, and he's had his orientation, and he's yeah. he's all psyched up for his big adventure to the beach or whatever it is they're doing for their last day, and so it's just it's all becoming quite real. And I will then have two high schoolers in my life, which is um kind of weird because as far as I'm concerned, wow. he's actually still six and I don't really yes. understand how we got this far. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, because when I first met you, you had zero children. I know. I know. So <laughs> I know. the fact well, that they even exist is <laughs> I know. Well, I'm, I'm, on the cusp, I'm on the cusp of having a 15-year-old and oh. a 12-year-old, which makes you and I pretty old, I think. <laughs> That's scary. Oh, my goodness. I always, I always say, you know, it's very funny because particularly uh, people seeing Book Boy at the moment who haven't seen him for a while, I just like you can you can see them like – you can see them do a double take as they realize who it is and then they kind of take mm. a step back and then mm. they go oh my goodness you've grown which is exactly what people yes. say right but what they're mm. actually saying is oh my goodness i can't pretend i'm young anymore <laughs> because <you> know, <laughs> well it's that he's a he's he's a big person now and you just sort of like you you, you realize the part not, nothing showcases for you the passing of time as much as other people's children do because you yes. get so involved in your own thing and you're seeing the same people and everybody's kind of like we're all aging together and all that sort of mm. stuff and then you see someone's kid that you haven't seen for a year or two and they have suddenly become a grown-up and you suddenly go yep okay yep so true so true yeah. you know what makes you, me feel old is like when um you watch movies with Zac Efron in them and he's like a 30-year-old man now and but it just feels wrong you know cuz you have feelings and um oh. <laughs> and it just and that's that makes that kind of makes you feel old well makes me feel old anyway he's feels wrong years old he was there born you go. in 1987 <laughs> <Valerie. I'm> just saying <laughs> i think you need to stop watching Zac Efron <laughs> 
shall we move <laughs> Anyhow, on? Really? Yeah. I can't help it. I even bought the DVD for um, the sing-along version of The Greatest Showman so I can sing with Zach. Okay. <laughs> but you like to sing along with everyone, so I, you know, I do. I, I do understand that. Have you got a Guess sing-along where I'm version going- of The Sound of Music as well? Oh no, you don't need one. I mean, you just sing with that one. But I have been to sing along. Why do you need to sing along for the other one then? Why can't you You just sing? I don't. I'm not as familiar with the words, but I will be soon. Okay. Yes, yes, because Sound of Music, you know all the words. And I've been to sing along a Sound of Music, um, which is really fun. And very soon, like in December, I've booked in. We're going to um, sing along Alamis. Yep. So good. I'm going to be Javert. Bookboy is in it, so I don't actually need to. I sing know that is so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. There's an awful cool. lot of sing alonger lamies going on at my house at the moment. So I, bet. I am hearing the people sing on a regular basis. Shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So w- this uh, recording comes to you. The recording of this podcast comes to you from the tropical uh, island of Hawaii. That is um, where I am at the moment, and it comes, I'm here it comes because. Learn. No, let's- it comes half from the half tropical, from the tropical palm yes. tree clad island of Hawaii and yes. half from Al's study where she's still <laughs> lamenting the loss of her pens. Oh, yes. So mm. it may be a little bit shorter than normal because you just never know with the internet here. And, you know, I've got like Waikiki Beach calling me. So stop. stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just rubbing it in. It's not fair. <laughs> All right, so we are now in the middle of November, which means that it is kind of almost the halfway mark of NaNoWriMo. Now, for those of you who have been living under a rock and don't know what NaNoWriMo is, it is National Novel Writing Month, although it is really an international movement. Um, It is all over the world in like, I don't know, 197 countries or 174 countries or some number that (laughs) escapes me because I've got Hawaii brain on. And uh, almost half a million people take part and it's where you write a novel in a month or rather you aim to get 50,000 words in the month of November which averages out to be 1,667 words per day. But you don't have to do that. You can do a bit one day more the next. And there's so many people taking part, aren't there, Al? There are many, many, many people taking part, including me. And I am, I am, what am I doing? I'm sort of, it's, I, it fits and starts as it so often is with me. It is, you know, 2,000 words one day and 500 mm. words the next day and, but, you know, I'm, I'm making progress and that's the main thing. I'm pretty happy with that. And you're writing, I mean, I know this sounds like a dumb question, but I'm, you know, I think other people might have the question. Uh, are you writing the same story during the whole of NaNoWriMo? Because I do know some people who just use it as a word count tool and they write whatever story. They, they might write five different stories. No, I no, I am just writing one story. I'm writing a new story because um, I've been working on several manuscripts all year, and I've had, you know, I've got bits and pieces. Like I could have chosen to to do a rewrite on one of those for Nanorimo, but I've chosen not to do that because um, I have decided to work on an on a new idea that I've been sort of putting aside for most of the year while I faff about with these other things I'm doing. Um, and it's something that I really want to get finished by the end of the year. So I'm actually working on on that one story. 
Mm. Um, can't wait to read it, Al. Mm. Neither can I, Al. <laughs> now, some people might be feeling, because I have felt this um, in a number of different years, because NaNoWriMo has been going for, oh, since like 1999 or something. Uh it's, I've felt this in different years, but by about this halfway mark, if I have not embarked on NaNoWriMo, which sometimes I choose not to do because I just have a lot on or whatever, I experience NaNoWriMo FOMO. <laughs> and it's you a real so thing. Tr- you are trying to make this a thing. I don't know if it, it is a it thing. It is a thing. It is a thing. I'm telling you it's a thing. And it usually happens around the halfway mark when you see everyone kicking all these goals getting all their word counts all really high and you think mm-hmm. I could be there now if I only started two weeks ago or, you know, started the first of the month. And so for those of you who are suffering from NaNoWriMo FOMO, so fear of missing out, I understand your pain and my advice to you is it's better late than never. And if you need some help with that, one of the things that is one of the best tools, and so many people did this last year, is they bought Alison's um, course, the 30-day writing boot camp. So um, it's – and that's such a cool boot camp where Alison kind of gives you a guide on every day for 30 days on how you can achieve 10,000 words in 30 days, which is actually far more – achievable than 50. So if you're the kind of person who got too overwhelmed by the concept of 50,000 words at the start of November, but Mm. think, you know, you you might be suffering NaNoWriMo FOMO, but you think, you know, I could do 10. This Mm. is the time to start because then you can smash out 10 in 30 days. And if you're interested in checking that out, then go to writerscenter.com.au slash bootcamp. But, uh, yeah, well, you're obviously not suffering from NaNoWriMo-FOMO, though, Al. No, I'm suffering from NaNoWriMo-INMO. <laughs> What's INMO? INMO is miss. I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just totally oh made that God. up. It doesn't even I exist, wonder, but I'm having it, all right? <laughs> other people think as, uh, as funny as we think we are. Probably no, not. I think they don't, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We amuse ourselves, right? Yeah, anyway. Now, one question I do have for you is have you done your yep. – have you started or have you finished or have you thought about your, you know, Christmas shopping? Oh, good Lord, do you think are I've you, Are you doing that while Christmas you're in Hawaii? Shopping? Isn't that what you do? Like don't you do the duty-free thing and go down and – You think buy? you would, right, because there's yeah. very good shopping here. But no, because I did that last year and I spent so much time in malls that I did not ex- appreciate the, the beach as much. So that is my commitment this year is not to spend as much time in malls. Right. That's a very good commitment. I've got friends who finished theirs like on the 1st of October. No. No. That's ridiculous. That's just too organised. Well, it kind of is, Oh, my goodness. I'm a bit last minute with my Christmas shopping and unsurprisingly I do buy people a lot of books um, because I want to support authors and I particularly want to support Australian authors and I want them to read the book. So there's a lot of surreptitious, do you think so-and-so's read this book yet? Like I ask their husbands or their parents or whatever, you know. So that's a little bit, um, you know, because you don't want to buy a book that they've already got and if you know that they haven't got it there's also a bit of oh do you think it's that their kind of book and sometimes you know this is so their kind of book and sometimes 
it's a bit, yeah, you're not sure. What's your trick on that? Because I know you buy books. I buy books for everyone. Um, I particularly yeah. buy books for kids because I have I decided many, many years ago that I was going to be the aunt of the book. Um, and right. so pretty much everybody knows to expect a book from Auntie Al. Um, and I obviously try really hard to fit, you know, to make it a book that the kid is going to love. Um, and I'm seeing an awful lot of that at the moment because, of course, with the Your Kids Next Read Facebook group, it's all about the, I've got a 10-year-old niece and she really liked blah, blah, can somebody suggest a book for such and such or I have to buy a book for a seven-year-old boy and I have no idea what boys read mm. and, you know, we do, all, we do all that. There's an awful lot of that going on in Your Kids Next Read on Facebook at the moment. Um, and I'll put the link in the show notes in case, you know, you're out there and you've got to buy uh, Christmas gifts for kids. We are your mm. go-to place for suggestions for books. Um, and, yes, of course, books fantastic. are always – you know, I just don't think you can go wrong because they are something that is going to be, you know, inspirational, useful, et cetera, but they are also something that lasts longer than, you know, I mean, my youngest son loves a Nerf gun, like loves a Nerf gun. <laughs> so every year, you know, he gets $5 worth of Nerf bullets and some new, you know, Nerf thing. And then he runs around with that for about a day. And, you know, he loses all his bullets into the various, probably about the same place where all the black pens and socks and scissors are. Yes. Um, and then the Nerf bullets are never seen again and the and the Nerf gun goes under the bed and we don't see it. But books, <laughs> books live on and books are something yes. that they can jump from book to book and there's always going to be something new. So anyway, lots and lots of books going. And, of course, we also have some fantastic book lists uh, that we have in the group, permanent links. Uh, so, you know, they're mm. great recommendations that come up over and over again in the group for different age groups. So if you're looking for books for specific children for um, for Christmas, we have you covered in Your Kids Next Read. Just search it up on Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. No, no, it's good. But you know what? I have a bit of an occupational hazard when it comes to books and I find it a little bit annoying because mm. I, when I um, give books as gifts, I – always buy the book. And what really annoys me <laughs> is mm. when some people, some members of my family go, oh, did you get that book for free? Because I do get free books, but I <laughs> and I never give as a gift a book that gift. I've got for free. No, me oh either. I, I will give really the, ones that, the ones that I get in for review because we get a lot of books as well and obviously mm. Book Boy gets truckloads of books yes. um, that he reads and, and reviews and whatever. So we do get a lot of books, but if we if he reads something that he thinks that someone will like, we just give them away. Like we're not giving them as Christmas gifts. As it's a not, gift. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly no. right. Same and thing. I donate mm -hmm. them, a lot of them, once he's read them, reviewed them, whatever, um, I donate them to school libraries because there's a lot of school libraries down here that um, yes. you know don't have huge budgets. And so it's a great way to give uh, school libraries, you know, nearly new books, which I think yeah. is always a, a great thing. We donate our um, a lot of our books actually to a secondhand bookstore in Gunnedah because Gunnedah hasn't got a bookstore, a, pro, uh, a regular bookstore, um, oh. and so there's a secondhand bookstore and it's also a real community place where people go and meet for book clubs and just hang out and meet and stuff like that. And um, and when we thought when we heard that there wasn't really a, a another book, you know, regular bookstore, we thought, oh well, we'll donate to this one. So that's where a lot of our books. How did you hear about the Gunnedah bookstore? Just heard about it through somebody I met, and I thought that's what we'll do. And there was a way that we we to to get the books there, so that's what we do on a regular basis. Perfect. Well, there, yes, you go. there you go. <laughs> All right. So 
Moving on, what's our competition this week? Moving on, yes, our competition this week is um, that we have three copies of Believe Me by J.P. Delaney, the psychological thriller from the internationally best-selling author of The Girl Before. So Claire Wright likes to play other people. A British drama student in New York without a green card, Claire takes the only job she can get, working for a firm of divorce lawyers, posing as an easy pickup in hotel bars to entrap straying husbands. When one of her targets becomes the subject of a murder investigation, the police ask Claire to use her acting skills to help lure her suspect into a confession. But is there more to this setup than she's being told? Claire soon realises she's playing the deadliest role of her life. There you go. If you mm. would like your chance to win one of three copies of Believe Me, then go to writerscentercomau slash win and uh, enter the competition. The entries close on the 19th of November. That's writerscentercomau slash win. And if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry, just go to that link and there'll be some other awesome competition for you to enter. Right now, Al, the most exciting time of the week, are you ready for the word of the week? I'm so excited, Val. So excited. Yes, okay. How was that? Was that good? <laughs> Pretty good. It's a bit fake, but okay. Okay, I'll do um, my best. <laughs> risable. That's R-I-S-I-B-L-E. Risable. Do I, I, do know, I do know this one and I have you used do. this one. You have yes. used it. Okay. I have, indeed. So for those of you who haven't, this means laughable. It actually comes from the word ridiculous. So you might say, Alison made the risable suggestion that Valerie should go without Banoffee pie. <laughs> Alison made the risable suggestion that Valerie should go without the word of the week. <laughs> no? <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> so risable, it's not funny. <laughs> so risable, it's not funny at all. All right, who's our interview this week, Val? I think the sun is uh, going to your head. <laughs> uh, interview this week is DM Cameron. Now, this is a really cool uh, interview because DM Cameron um, kindly, kind, uh, kindly was really frank about her journey towards publication. And I think it's really important to, you know, um, not only learn from the successes and all the exciting things that uh, authors tell us about, and um, and it's certainly very exciting that uh, DM Cameron has reached the stage that she has, but she's also really open about some of the obstacles and challenges and pitfalls that she faced along the way, and um, including – including, and everyone should learn a lesson from this, proofread the email address that you send to a publisher. So let's have a listen to DM Cameron. Thanks so much for joining us today, Donna. Thanks for having me, Val. I'm very excited. Yes. Well, you've got, uh, you know, an interesting journey that has led to this book, Beneath the Mother Tree. So for listeners who haven't yet read the book, tell us what it's about. Well, it's uh, it's about a young girl, Ayla, who was studying veterinary science but has come back to the island that she grew up on because she's just feeling a bit lost and, uh, yeah, depressed, I suppose, to a certain extent. She's... um, 
she's just found out about the plastic um, islands of plastic junk floating in the oceans and uh, all the species that are dying out and uh, she she just doesn't know really if what she wants to do with her life is is going to be useful and so she comes back to the island she grew up on to um, just defer for the year and uh, she's also a bit heartbroken. She's just come out of her first kind of major relationship and uh, yeah, so the whole story unfolds from there. She uh, has a, a grandfather who lives in a boat just off the island who is quite a heavy drinker and uh, he grew up with all these Irish myths and he's imparted um, all that Irish mythology onto his granddaughter Ayla and she's standing on the beach and hears this flute music and one of the Irish myths she grew up with was the myth of the Fardaroka as Grappa calls it and um, he's a dark-haired, handsome man who plays a flute and he can um, transport you down into the underworld because um, he's actually an agent for the Fairy Queen and he's very seductive and, uh, yeah, you'll ne you're never seen again. So she hears this amazing flute music and she glimpses him and, um, yeah. Great. Gra Gra Grappa thinks it is the Fadaroka and it all unfolds from there. But, um yeah. And so how did this idea come into your head? It's quite um, out there. So <laughs> <laughs> what was the inspiration behind this? Oh, well, I actually uh, wanted to explore my connection to country um, as an Australian of Irish descent. But, you know, my family has been here for um, quite a few generations but I also wanted to look at the Indigenous connection to country because um, the area that the book is set in, which is an area um, I grew up in, uh, there, there is a big Indigenous population there because there was a mission there for over 50 years. So um, I think I've always been aware that I am Australian, but I'm not Australian. And um, how should I connect to this country um, the only country I've ever known when um, my heritage is actually from a country on the other side of the world. So I wanted to look at uh, both those um, aspects and, and, yeah, I suppose that idea of belonging in a way. And so this um, – congratulations on, on getting this book out because you've had some ups and downs on the journey along the way. Can you tell us sort of like um, some of the headlines? The, of the main of the main um, breaks, you know, so the good breaks, but also some of the obstacles that you've had along the way. Yeah, well, it took seven years to get published. I actually wrote the first draft seven years ago. It's uh, committed. Yeah, persistent, <laughs> persistent. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it was a real up and down journey because um, I did have a big literary agent uh, interested pretty well first up and um, yeah she asked me to cut 30,000 words off the manuscript and at that point I was just really um, I suppose too inexperienced um, as a writer. I, I was a script writer originally so to um, cut 
30,000 words off. I, I'm, I think I managed about 10,000. But, you know, in retrospect, mm. I wish I'd just paid an editor at that point mm. to help me. Um, I was so stupid because I was so excited to have such an amazing agent interested and I didn't want to make her wait and so I, I just rushed the whole and she kept saying don't rush take your time and mm. basically she was saying you get one chance but I, I didn't realize that I just thought oh you know it's so exciting and <laughs> and I rushed the manuscript back to her and I only had managed to cut about 10,000 words off mm. the man the, the book as it is now is down to where she wanted it Yes. But at, at that time, I was, um, yeah, I was just too inexperienced. Um, and, yeah. So what happened when you delivered oh, the, yeah, well, she delivered said, what she didn't want? <laughs> yeah. She said, oh, well, sorry, you know, um, it still needs to, it, it needs a good edit and it still needs work. And um, she explained that the industry has really changed now. It's a much harder industry to get published in and that you really need to well she said you know she really needed to send a manuscript out that was almost ready to go in a way mm. um and yeah it still needed too much work and so that was that and, oh, so was then what happened <laughs> mm. um well I was uh, well something even worse happened I suppose um I had one of the major publishing houses um uh, they read the manuscript and um, this particular publisher, really lovely, lovely publisher, um, she sent me an email and said that she uh, was halfway through the manuscript and was really enjoying it and would I be interested in cutting some of the exposition off um, mm. the front end of it. And um, I had never got that email because I had written oh. on the front I'd written the incorrect email address down on the front of the manuscript and that happened because I had sent the manuscript out to her and then I realised it wasn't quite ready so I I emailed her and said, oh, you know, have you printed it out? Do you mind, um, you know, I'm, I'm still working on it and, and I did that to her a couple of times so oh. that was really awful and then eventually I felt so bad I, I hand-delivered the manuscript and I said, here it is, okay. It's ready. You can read it. Um, but the email that I put on the front of that hand-delivered manuscript was incorrect. And so, yeah, when she did You got your own email address wrong. Yep, yep. Oh, my <laughs> God. When did you realise this, though? But didn't I, she well, have I, other emails? I didn't. I didn't. No, well, she, she did have another email address, you know, which we had originally emailed from. But for some reason, she... You know, when she got the hand, the the hard copy that I yeah. had delivered, she just went from that email address on the front yeah, there, right. which I had actually written down incorrectly. <laughs> and I'd given her, I gave her about six months. I thought, oh, I don't want to bother her. I don't want to bother her. Like I've stuffed her around. I'll just let her read it when she gets the chance. And so eventually after six months, I contacted her and said, oh, I'm just wondering if you had a chance to read my manuscript. And she said, oh, didn't you get my email? And she forwarded oh. it to me. And there I saw that it had been sent to the wrong email address and that, you know, I'd obviously and I looked at the oh. file and, yep, there it was. I'd, I'd written it incorrectly. Um, wow. I have to ask, was it an actual <laughs> typo or was it like a completely different email address? No, no, it was just like one letter. Um, right. So, yeah, so it was just a typo on my behalf. Um, 
so yeah, she was. Uh, she said, "I said, oh please, like I'll do anything. I'll, I'll cut my my hand off. <laughs> of course, I'll of course I'll cut out exposition. Please yes. finish finish reading it." And she said, "Oh look, I will if I get a chance." But you know, it was leading up to Christmas. She had other books right. that she was working on, and yeah. she kept saying, "Look, if I get a chance, I'm going to have to read it from the beginning now because it's been six months." Forgot, yeah. Yeah, and eventually I just felt like I was hassling her too much. I just stopped emailing. I thought, oh, look, I've stuffed this poor publisher around so much, so I just left it. But, I, you know, that was all my own fault again. So Wow, yeah. I bet you double-check your email address every time you send something now. Oh, yes, yeah. Well, you know, everything's meant to be, so... Obviously. All right, so let's yeah. move on to the more positive stuff. So thank you for sharing those things because they were, that's reality, right? You know, you yeah. can stuff yeah. something up just because of an email address or because you don't want to or you get precious about the number of words or about the words. You don't want to kill your darlings. So what happened then that became more positive? Well, um, I was selected for a Varuna Litlink residency, thank God, because after those two things happened, mm-hmm. I was, I just thought, oh, this is it. Like, I'm going to give up on this book. And um, and so that was a really positive thing. And it took the manuscript right. to another level. And um, it was all meant to be, you know, because while I was waiting to hear back from these agents and publishers, etc. I kept working on it and mm. um, time, you know, it takes time to write. Mm. I'd never written a book before. I didn't really know what I was doing. I, w- I was learning to write a book um, mm. by writing a book. <laughs> yeah, well. And, you know, the, the first draft, learn. sorry. It's probably a good way to learn. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was a bit heartbreaking at times but, you know, sure. the first draft came quite quickly but it's the editing you know editing is so important Um, and I I just learned to edit I think over the years I just kept working on it and working on it and editing and editing and adding layers and eventually it got to a point where I was actually really happy with it but yeah. So if you you said that eventually it got to the point where you were really happy with it so Mm. previously were you not happy with it and and yet you sent it out? Well, yeah, because I just thought, oh, you know, when a publisher gets it, they will edit it and they will help me, you oh, know, to, I see. to get it where I, w- I didn't realise until that agent said, well, you know, yeah. the industry's changed, it doesn't work like that anymore. Then yeah, I realised, yeah. wow, I've actually got to get it to that point where – it is yeah, you have ri- to put forward your best work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know, at first I thought oh, I was good enough and then it's amazing when you leave something for a while and you read it again. And, I'm, I mean, I'm a perfectionist as well. I will mm. never – now my book's in print. I will never read it, ever. <laughs> because I know there'll be things that I'll hate that I'll want to change. And um, Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so what kept you going over seven years? Like, especially when you had a couple of, you know, um, disappointing experiences, you know, good on you for your tenacity. What what kept you going? Well, I suppose those experiences were disappointing, but the fact was 
they were very interested in the manuscripts as well. So that kept me going. I thought, well, these things have happened, you know, but the the positive thing is that they actually were really interested. And, um, yeah, people who read it really loved it. Uh, You know, they there was a lot of belief in the manuscript as well. And I really believed and I knew that it was a story that, you know, I would love to read. Um, mm. I, re- I really believed in my book, I suppose. And Yeah. Um, so so you mentioned, you touched on that it has some um, Indigenous uh, themes in it or some history in it. Did you have to do a lot of or much research for that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I worked um, with Uncle Bob Anderson. He's a Noogie elder from um, Mulgumpen, which is Moreton Bay Island. And uh, yeah, so I worked with him on all the Indigenous content. And I thought that I would be writing about Dugong dreaming or, you know, their, their connection to country compared to the Irish connection. But I had no idea about the massacres that had occurred in the Kondamooka region. This is the area I grew up in, mm. and there I was in my 40s. I learned about these stories for the first time, and that had a major influence on the book and took it to a whole different, um, you know, into a whole different territory in a way. Mm. And so ultimately, um, how did you get published? So in the end, um, it was actually my mentor at Varuna, she said, you know, your book is very unusual. Um, And that was another thing, like some of the big publishers that, you know, gave me the most amazing rejections, like you write so beautifully. I love this book. Um, Unfortunately, you know, it doesn't suit our um, whatever. But um, she was saying, you know, it's actually hard to market because it doesn't fit into a box, so to speak, mm. like an easy box to um, – it crosses genres and, mm. yeah. So she said, why don't you try some of the smaller publishing houses um, because they they take risks, you know, they, they're more inclined to take risks. So, uh, yeah, so I, in the end I, um, I Googled the small press network and um, I found some publishers there that were really – um yeah, it looked like they might be interested in, in my kind of book, so mm-hmm. I tried them and, yeah, I ended up with um, several offers of publication, so that was really lovely. Um, and, yeah, the the course I did actually at the Australian Writers' Centre, um, there's a, a publishing course that you have there. That came in so handy at that point. Because suddenly I had all these contracts I had to look at and compare, and um, yeah, so uh, that was that was yeah. One. That's the inside publishing course, and that does go into a lot of detail about the about your rights and the kinds of things to look out for as well. So just tell me in the process of writing the book. Well, you've mentioned that kind of the first draft was the easy part, and then the editing was the was the harder part um did you edit it in a like what did you know that you had to edit do you know what how did you tackle it did you do it in a linear fashion did you take it sort of in scenes or sections 
did yeah what kind of approach did you have well um the the literary agent that was really interested in the book gave me two uh readers reports which were just fantastic and they really helped me through the editing process i sat down with those readers reports and just kept looking at them looking at the feedback and going okay this is what needs to be done but um you know it took me a while to get there um right. Yeah, so looking for repetition, um, uh, yeah, and also the the layering. So editing, so there was the cutting down of the words, like getting yeah. it to, to be really concise. But then there's also the layering, like making the characters richer and deeper. And um, uh, one thing that I – could do because I had the time I suppose was I did one whole edit where I focused on um, smell for instance mm. so so I did an edit on each of the senses great so yeah. while I was while I was waiting for that um, publisher to get back to me I thought okay I really want to look at all the senses you know because to me the the thing that the novel does that best really compared to any other art form is immersion and mm. so even film you know you you don't smell with film no. yeah because it's much more you know sight and and sound and but with a novel your characters can touch things and smell things and so all those five senses I did an edit on each of those senses just to make sure mm. that it was there throughout the book and yeah, and that all takes time. So the, the time is a really good thing, I think, with writing. Yes. I, I think of rushing writing, you, I mean, it could have been published probably years ago, but it wouldn't be the book it is today. I, it mm. just took, it took time. Maybe I'm just a really slow writer. I don't know. <laughs> so speaking of time then, how what did you have to fit it in with? Like a, a day job, a, you know, what did you have to – work with at the time as, as yeah. or fit in at the time? Yeah, well, um, at the time that I was writing uh, the first draft, I I ran a um, – and I still do – I run private um, acting classes, but they start in the afternoon, so uh, I usually have the mornings to write and then I go off to teach in the afternoon a few days a week. Um, so that, that works out well. So I suppose mm. I work part-time. And yeah. And so, did you have a word count goal or any kind of, you know, targets while you were writing it? Um, the first draft, I, um, I think. Well, it was the Australian Writers Centre um, listening to your podcast because <laughs> <laughs> I literally did not know how to write a book. I. I was a script writer. I'd never written a novel. I knew that this thing was a novel. And I think I Googled, um, you know, writer's centres or something. And, oh, and right. <laughs> yeah. And the um, Australian Writer's Centre came up and I saw it had yeah. podcasts. So I started listening mm -hmm. to the podcasts. And then I learned through the podcast that 80,000 was the normal um, word length in one of your podcasts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I yeah. thought, oh, okay, I've got to go for 80,000. Um, but of course it, it ended up 110,000, the first draft, yeah. you know, and then just 
trying to cut that back. I didn't. Yes, which is why the agent wanted to cut it down. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, Yeah. epic fantasy can be 110,000, but regular novels are probably around the 80. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's around the 80,000 mark now, the published Mm. version. But at the time, I just, it was so unwieldy. I just didn't know where to start with it. Um, well, I, I mean, I did. I got there eventually, but I just rushed. I rushed mm. my edit back to her because I was just so – I didn't want to keep her waiting, you know. I was, mm. I, was, I was living in a state of fear of, oh, she might not be interested if I keep her waiting for too long. And um, it's just fear. It was so silly. I look back and I think, oh. Oh, well, at least you know now. I do, yeah, (laughs) and hopefully anyone listening will know if you get a really good literary agent interested take your time do exactly what they ask (laughs) (laughs) that's right are you working on your second novel I am actually I'm um I'm still caught up with promotion for this one because it's only been out for a couple of months but um I just so want to write this um novel that's is it along the same vein or is it about something different yeah, well, uh, it's it's looking at the whole um, climate change denial that's happening at the moment, and and hope, I suppose, you know that that fine line between despair and hope, and where we're sitting um, as humans. Mm. On one level, it's looking at that, but on the other level, it's a bit of a thriller, a road trip. Um, there's a love story in there. Um, there is probably going to be myth. Um, so, again, a contemporary story but with an element of myth in there. Again, I, crossing it, genres. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I suppose um, probably not as much as Beneath the Mother Tree. Um, right. Yeah. What was the most enjoyable thing about the writing process? Ah, okay, probably – Moving to a place of compassion. Um, oh. Yeah. What do you yeah. mean? Uh, the first draft, um, one of my characters, uh, it came out of a, I suppose, she was very um, one-dimensional and, yeah, I don't want to give too much away because, yeah people who haven't read the book but um yeah I wrote towards compassion which was a really healing beautiful thing to do um for this particular character and yeah I suppose that was that was a really positive wonderful thing that came out of the book for me um cool and and of course what would your top three tips be for aspiring writers who you know want to um, have their own book one day. Okay. Uh, well, um, don't send it out too early. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> yeah, because that's what I did, and yeah, and stuffed up. I think really. So uh, I suppose that's patience, practice patience, mm. and on that's on lots of levels. Um, I think to write a book, it actually takes a really long time to write a good book you know to to get all those layers and and to get the density and um to get the writing where you want it to be you know editing 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 so refining and that all takes time um so patience I think is a big one 
Um, another tip would be uh, listen to your subconscious. So, right. Yeah, make make room for your subconscious because I think that's where the gold lies with writing. That you know that that voice that wakes you up in the middle of the night. Um, you know the the good stuff comes from from there. And even like if you get stuck with a plot point or something, go for a walk or work mm. in the garden and and do something else. And then suddenly your subconscious is working on it and, and fixes it for you and. Um, and to hear that subconscious, you need silence. So get off social media. Um, <laughs> when you go for a walk, don't don't listen to a podcast, even if it is Val and Al. <laughs> 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 yeah. So so yeah. Um, let that subconscious voice be heard. Listen. Listen. Yeah. To that. Um, number three. Um, let me think. Um, I think embrace your uniqueness. Um, I heard an interview with David Maloof not mm. very long ago. I can't even remember where or how it was, but I heard this interview and he was talking about uh, when he was, um, I think he worked with the same publisher for years and years and had the same editor. And then for some reason he, he got a new editor, a young editor, who obviously wasn't um, – who hadn't read a lot of his work and wasn't used mm. to his voice. And and this editor had so many suggested changes that were to do with his unique voice. Mm. And he said, you know, he said in this interview – he feels sorry for writers now because the whole way the um, industry is set up, you know, with the freelance editors coming in and they're not getting to work with the same editor again and mm. again. And so, um, you know, to to be strong enough, I suppose, to say, well, this is my this is my voice, um, rather than, you know, getting it changed so it's watered down or grammatically correct and. Um, mm. Yeah, so embrace your uniqueness, I think, um, is is a good one to remember because that's, sure. what makes, that's what makes you you and um, makes your book different to everyone else's and, mm. uh, yeah. Awesome. And there will always, they'll always be better writers than you and um, so just don't worry about any of that. Just embrace who you are at this point in time and, yeah. And finally, what's been the most rewarding part of the experience so far? Oh, well, I think I just feel so free um, writing novels because I often heard in prose as a as a script writer and then I'd have to change that into dialogue and, um, yeah, writing this book was just so freeing. I felt like my voice was suddenly free and I really Wonderful. just want to write novels now for some reason. I, Yeah, <laughs> it was so much fun and, you yeah. know, the characters, so they take over and they become – it's so immersive writing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that's, that's the fun bit, I suppose. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on the book and uh, look forward, I'm looking forward to your next one. Thank you so much for your time today, Donna. Oh, thank you, Val. Thank you so much for having me. It's, um, it's been an absolute delight. <laughs> 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There you go, DM Cameron, and um, lots of uh, lessons to be learned there and a really interesting journey to publication. Indeed. All right. So uh, what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, I won't be lying under a palm tree at Waikiki. Waikiki? Wait, what did I just say? Waikiki. <laughs> I won't be lying under a palm Wai- tree. <laughs> and not drinking cocktails, which may be a good thing by the sounds of me. Um, I will be working because of clearly I have words to write for NaNoWriMo, so I will be doing that. That's what I'll be doing. What about you? What are awesome. you going to be doing? I won't be lying under a palm tree because I'm afraid the coconut is going to fall on my head. Um, I will be going to the $2 shop or their equivalent of the $2 shop. There's like convenience stores everywhere and buying it's really cheap a, like a pink flamingo so I could like an inflatable so I can sit in it that's like my whole goal <laughs> so that's your whole goal that's your- yeah <laughs> big goals this is Valdez Hawaii goals. pink yeah. flamingo in the pool okay mm-hmm. no 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 um, in the ocean in the ocean oh, in the ocean okay. yeah so I can just loll about and not have to tread water okay yeah that's right. this. There's, there's a whole plan, and of course, work on my tan. All right, <laughs> let's leave it right there. <laughs> we'll leave it right there. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, a double l i s o n t a i t dot com. You'll find me on Twitter at at al tate, a l t a i t, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you <laughs> apart from in a Pink Flamingo. Pink Flamingo. Um, you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and at ValerieKoo.com. And make sure you connect with both of us in the podcast community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 